0: Hey, Glenn for me by Folk here. I hope you get a great start to the new year. We've been busy trying to update the website. We've got lots of things planned that we're working on right now. And in the meantime, I spoke to Rick Banks, who just relaunched his Type Foundry F37 with a new website and some new typefaces. I thought it'd be an interesting topic to talk to him about how to set up a Type Foundry, if you've ever thought about it, what problems he might have faced that you can avoid, and how he got started in type design. Hey, how are you doing? Let's get things started by telling us why we're talking today.
1: Um, So, this month we've just uh, launched a refresh uh, of our Font Foundry's website. Um, The original website won uh, a Yellow Pencil in 2017, uh, but it was in need of a refresh. Um, I've done a lot since 2017, um, so it needs to be more professional uh, and showcase the commercial jobs I've been been doing over the last uh, two years in a much better and and clearer way. Uh, On top of that, the actual F37 catalogue needed to work harder online too. Um, whether that's putting it in different languages, having a, a PDF specimen online, I had, I had that request a lot.
0: So I think it's always nice to go back to the, the, the time that kind of set you off into this path. Like what first got you in typography, into typography? Obviously, you're a designer, so you would have dealt with you know, typefaces uh, in your daily work. But I think a lot of us toy with the idea of you know, creating your own typeface but then never never go ahead with it
1: yeah so looking back i've always been into typography um i loved football shirt lettering when i was a kid uh i think every graphic designer as well collected um the fashion tags when they were little kids um so i was drawn to letter form um but i remember my housemate at uni robert honkvist he uh he really pushed me into the sort of nerdy side of type. And and when I graduated, I had um, because of that, yeah, when I graduated, I had a a portfolio that was very type based. Um, So then I landed a job at C Design who were again, very, very type led um, and I've not looked back since. So typography has always been with me and it was at my second job at a company called This Is Real Arts um, that I started sort of playing around with typefaces. Um, I just saw a, a yeah. I think my my first typeface I designed was a was a geometric typeface called Form. <laughs> it was awful looking back, but um, I just did it for fun at the time. Um, as a middleweight designer, I had no knowledge of of drawing fonts or, or whatever, and I just started. Opening up Illustrator and drawing uh, letter forms at night and at the weekends, and form was was based on a Armin Hoffman poster, and it was constructed of circles, so it was quite easy to do. Um, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't hard to draw at all. Um, so yeah, and then I I bought FontLab uh, at the time, the software to to produce fonts, um, I don't use that anymore, but I started just copy and pasting the glyphs in. Um, that didn't work. So I bought, I bought a book called Learn FontLab Fast. <laughs> uh, it was it was really good, handy book um, just to get introduced to producing fonts through FontLab. Um, and I learned a lot through that, just that little typeface. And I, I also bought a book um, Designing Type by Karen Cheng, which which was which were great. I think they were awesome books at the time. I think this was around 2007, 2008. Uh, but yeah, the, the font was super crude. I've never ever owned up to it <laughs> nowadays. Uh, but it was a learning cur- curve and it was it's all about having a go. Just don't be afraid, just having a go and, and learning along the way. So I didn't, I didn't do the old traditional route of going to Reading and getting a type, type design degree. I just uh, learned on the job, really. And and after that, I did a few more amateur fonts. <laughs> very very geometric and easy to draw, but it was an easy way. It was easy way to get into to a drawing type and and then I went on to, to to draw more intricate fonts like Bella. So
0: you mentioned briefly like the process. It was like so was this like before the days of YouTube tutorials and is that why you uh, got those books or did you just prefer to read about it in a book um, rather than find tutorials?
1: Um, there they they weren't were any YouTube tutorials at the time definitely not it wasn't as po- it is now. Not, not many people had FontLab. I think a lot of people now have Glyphs. I, I see students all the time um, having Glyphs on their computers. So I think unis buy it because it's super cheap. I remember when FontLab was so expensive, um, and then Glyphs came in, and then you, they had they have great tutorials online, so you can learn that way. But at, no, at the time, I don't think. YouTube was around, but I don't think there was any video tutorials.
0: And how does the process vary uh, these days, then, when when you're using glyphs? Is it like much much more straightforward to get into? Or yeah, it's the reason why
1: FontLab's not uh, the industry standard now is just glyphs is so user friendly. It it it's just simple things like it has the same shortcuts as Illustrator. It's like basics like that. FontLab was so hard to get your head around when once you've been brought up in. In Design and Illustrator, so it's just very more user friendly and it's it's, it's just more powerful. Yeah.
0: At which point did you then think? Yeah, you know, this is this has been great fun i've already created my few first crude typefaces at which point did you then st- i think because i remember you writing to us about bella back then and uh, sending me that specimen yeah and um that's right yeah beautifully photographed as well oh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> and did you already had you already set up f37 at that point to launch that or did you release the, the typeface just by itself no so i Again,
1: I I didn't do it for any other reason um, than just passion at the time. I, I drew Bella. Didn't think any anything of it. I emailed Hype for Type to saying if you if you wanted to sell it, and they did. And and I didn't realize how successful it would be. It's still. Uh, my most popular best-selling font, which is staggering considering it was my first professional um, release. So yeah, that, I, I, I didn't even think of launching a Foundry then because I still do it heavily into my branding and my graphic design and I was freelancing in London. So I did another font called Ginger. And again, that's uh, that's the second best-selling font I've done. So I, I, so after that, I, I think, uh, I can't remember when I did Ginger. I think it was and. 10 I think but um, I thought about it for a number of years after that but it was when my wife um, first became pregnant uh, I made the decision of of setting up a foundry Um, it meant that I could leave London uh, in my tiny one-bed flat and and work from home up in Manchester and and I'd see my son a lot more uh, than I would in London freelancing. Um, so yeah, I, I actually set it up with my business partner Alex, who owns Hype for Type. We we got chatting and um, we set it up together, and it's it's a great combination because he deals with all the, the boring stuff like licensing and legals and FAQs and customer feedback, and it means that I can just. Concentrate on the on the creative. So yeah, and, and when we did launch, I, I wanted to make a massive sort of impact and, and put us on the map a bit, and that's why I came up with the the type tester that that won the, um, a yellow pencil and that basically mimics Illustrator inside a web, a web browser using the, uh, the very latest code, which is, uh, which is impressively um, developed by my, my friend Tom Duncar.
0: Yeah, I remember that first seeing that site and it just then spreading uh, across every social network and seeing it all over the place. It was uh, definitely really different from a lot of Type Foundry websites at the time. I think that's what helped it um, yeah, be so popular
1: yeah i wanted it to be very user friendly i mean most of the font foundries are so clunky to test and um, i just wanted it to be like you're an illustrator like you would as a a graphic designer testing out a font yeah i think that makes a lot of
0: sense so you're in a really lucky position then to have a partner who kind of takes care of the parts that you don't enjoy doing and i guess the other way around or does alex also design typefaces then
1: no, he's purely um, just the, on the admin side uh, and, and I'm the creative and yes, yeah, as I say, it's a really good relationship because uh, I don't want to get bogged down in, in all that boring stuff.
0: you mentioned that you distributed your first couple of typefaces through Hype for Type. Are there, do you use any other platforms to distribute your, your fonts or are you focused on just uh, using your own website to really get them to people? yeah
1: we're just focusing on um, selling it through uh, f37 and obviously ha- alex's hype for type but i, d- I don't want to sell it through anyone else i want to keep it quite um, restricted
0: and is there a, a good
1: reason for that like do you have a the best reason is you can track who's using it if you put it on multiple multiple platforms um One, I think your brand gets a bit diluted, but two, it's easy to track down where the misuse is as well. So if someone's not bought a license, you can see, well, we've got spreadsheets that we can check and et cetera.
0: easier these days to run a type foundry because you can maybe reach that audience yourself or do you think it's more difficult because there's just so much choice like you know I mean there's just an abundance of type foundries and then an endless amount of of typefaces I do think it's easier than ever and
1: we're seeing I think more graphic designers starting to go into type Um, there's always been like the classic Neville Brodies and um, the Barnbrooks, but I think we're seeing it more and more because as I said Glyphs is more affordable and then when you team that up with Instagram you, your your work can just explode if anyone's thinking of doing it the world's your oyster really and just just go for it but there, on, on the negative side you're right there are so many foundries now and it's hard to keep <laughs> keep up with them all <laughs>
0: Do you think uh, Instagram is that the main channel that you use to promote um, your your work and your fonts, or are there any other networks that you use?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really talk about my fonts on, on that platform. Um, but yeah, Instagram is the main one, and I'm trying to I, I try and post every day, but it's so hard to keep up with that on top of work. But um, I design and, and produce little specimen booklets. And i send them, I send them out to creatives, uh, and you can buy them on the website as well. but uh, yeah, Instagram is crucial these days uh, in this day and age, I think anyway. but the best promotion is word of mouth always always is on top of that. I think you need th- I think type designers all need to brand their fonts better well i think i my fonts are more memorable i like to have a theme around them and name them in a more memorable way rather than like helvetica next or having a noia like another noia or a uh, or another grotesque. I mean, there's so many now. You need you need to stand out from the crowd. So that's why I name name my fonts um,
0: funny names. <laughs> yeah, I think your naming has been pretty good. That's, that's not an easy job. I mean, again, there's just so much, uh, uh, so many typefaces, so many names already out there.
1: And uh, that's another thing you have to you have to watch out that you don't get in any legal. Legal trouble naming fonts as well.
0: But speaking of standing out from the crowd, like you know, over the past year or two, you know, there's been so many articles writing about this sort of um, simplifying of of branding across the board of like major tech companies from uh, Google to Pinterest, Spotify, um, Airbnb. You know, they're all going back to um, pretty. Uh, well not plain but mostly like geometric or humanist sans serifs do you think like do do we need more sensors in in the market like how many variations can we still get to until we just reach an reach an end <laughs> uh, i think
1: you can say that about anything creative i mean does the world need more films does we need more books do, do we need another painting um I think yes, we do. Life would be boring if we just stop creating. But on your point about geometric sands uh, and this sort of everyone's talking about, oh, it all looks the same. I mean, that famous JPEG on social media that's done the rounds. That one, it's missing out this symbol, which yeah, which sort of tricks the viewer. Um, but two, you could say that about any any font, like. Um, if you search Helvetica and logos, you'd see American Airlines, you'd see Lufthansa, you'd see so well the old the old brands anyway. But you'd the the idea of using a sans serif with a with a beautiful symbol is is nothing new, and um, it's just because we've we've seen a few um, big startups like Airbnb and, and Spotify use. Uh, a geometric sounds like brown uh, everyone's up in arms but I don't see it, Is it if, if if they didn't have the accompanying symbols I, I, I'd maybe agree but. Um, I think it's fine.
0: I think I still see a lot of differences between them. These four examples, at least, you know, they're they're all they're all still unique. I guess that's kind of where these little nuances, where you're still going to be able to experiment in the future and try and come up with something different. And I I suppose that's maybe also what makes your job interesting is that there's maybe there's more room for for custom typography where. It has that little difference in character from just using a Helvetica or uh, a Gotham or something something that's uh, been widely used. The the other
1: JPEG that's doing the rounds on social media is all the fashion labels done if you've seen it where everyone, everyone, everyone's ditching their their heritage um, and going for another sans serif but a slightly condensed one rather than a geometric one. Um, that's another
0: trend and I, I don't know where i sit on that. Because um, they were all beautiful logos. I think that's like, what, what was it? Was it Yves Saint Laurent? Uh Comme des Garçons and I can't remember who else
1: There's the Burberry
0: Burberry yeah they, they went back to just the plain yeah I, I I liked I really liked those logos but I guess there's probably some good reason that they came up with for for doing it but I've not I've not read anything yeah exactly
1: so part of me loves that um they're going more modern uh it can work at a small size, work digitally, and work with collaborations. And then there's another side of me that thinks, oh, this, they're all at the same, there's no personality, there's no character. And that's what leads me on to your, to your question about um, commissioning custom, custom type work. I think I try to always design my uh, type with an idea into in it.
0: Like with the British Heart Foundation, for example. E-
1: exactly. Um, y- you can see the idea very, very clearly. and. And I think clients are realizing how strong a bespoke asset like a font is for their brand. I mean, you can take away the British Art Foundation's logo, the, the color, the photography, and, you, and you, able, you'll still be able to recognize the brand just by the, um, the custom font. So that's on the desired side of things. Even on the commercial side of things, it can often be cheaper as well than license a font. Um, so you can, so for example, IBM was spending a million a year on licensing Helvetica. So they've just commissioned a beautiful um, bespoke typeface. The Plex. The Plex, exactly, yeah. Um, but for anyone looking for studios or or companies looking to, to commission type, I'd start the conversation early with a client, see if they've got the budget. Um and then just get some get some ballpark figures. You could go to the big corporates like Monotype but they'll be probably ludicrously expensive so I'd, pro- I'd probably stick to the independents and I'd also supply the foundry with a strict brief uh, I, I, the amount of times I get an email going how much for a bespoke font uh, and this there's so many variables. I mean, how many weights? Uh, do they want uppercase or lowercase? How much? How many languages do they want to support? Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Greek, Russian, all these questions. I
0: think price can definitely be a hurdle. Like, I've never commissioned a custom font, so I wouldn't even know how to offer it to my clients uh, because I wouldn't even be able to tell them, okay, well, we'll definitely need a budget of at least X amount to even get them on the side of yeah well this sounds like something that we should be doing you know i think that's always a getting the client to understand why first of all and and, and explaining to them what a great idea can be and then running around and and getting offers and then realizing oh shit okay well we don't <laughs> we don't really have that budget yeah i know it's tough it is tough i think you just you
1: you need to start those conversations super early because it is into the thousands so it's, it's not a cheap thing um And often as well, uh, clients want IP buyout. Of course, yeah. And then then now you're into some serious uh, expensive territory. So um, yeah, it's starting those conversations early, I think, to see um, if they can afford it. For
0: anyone who's maybe thinking about Setting up a foundry, or at least you know, he's a, a person who's already been experimenting with typography for a little bit and creating a font, but it's considering making this next step, if you would be able to, if you were starting F thirty seven now, uh, knowing what you know, what what would you have done differently?
1: Mm, it's a tricky question. I, I don't like looking back and going, what if? Or... Let's
0: look at it in a positive light then, and say what tip would you have for someone who's thinking about setting up like what's like the the thing that that you didn't expect to learn when you started F37
1: the biggest thing I've learned is all the licensing all the the complex legal stuff um, and it is seriously complex um, and that's why it, for graphic designers it's so confusing seeing all these different licenses and all these uh, different costs because I originally wanted to set uh, F37 up with like a really obvious, like these are ballpark figures, but the variables involved, again, like, like the brief, the variables are, are just insane. So it could be for a whole brand. It could just be for a book, publishing licenses. It could just be for server licenses. So I'd probably brush up on all the the legal side, side of things. That's
0: probably the trickiest part that I never thought about. yeah yeah (laughs) it
1: it is super complex um well you're lucky to have alex exactly yeah so so he's he's got 15 years of of knowledge of that's why i brought him on board as well for the because he set up um, Type. he had 15 years of knowledge of dealing with all these big brands and uh, and their licensing issues so yeah i'd 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 brush up on that um what else setting up uh, an actual shop as well that is difficult Uh, the back end of of the foundry uh, now is is so complex
0: is it all custom or do you guys run on a shop software or
1: so we we run on Shopify but it's heavily uh, heavily customized for example if you click on um, an OTF file if you just want a desktop license it will automatically discount the web font so that's another variant that you have to upload it's it's, oh, yeah just thinking about it makes my brain melt a bit. <laughs> I think that's probably the toughest thing well the
0: new website turned out great Oh, cheers, it's been yeah. worth all the effort yeah I hope so I was trying to remember earlier what was the first typeface that I ever bought because obviously when you're a student you kind of all share typefaces around which you probably shouldn't be doing and then when you get to work you know they're all like company typefaces so I never had to worry about it and then when I started freelancing I'm like okay I'm gonna to have to like, buy my font licenses now i think the first one i bought was ff netto for an architecture oh, job yeah. i think that was the first one that i properly like paid money for my first my first job
1: yeah ff Neto.
0: <laughs> can you yeah. remember
1: what yours was i um yeah it's, it's a real boring one it's uh it's a <laughs> <laughs> 75 because <bold. laughs> I, I was really influenced by the designers republic when i was 16 so i remember i remember borrowing my mom's credit card and and buying that yeah tell people where they can find out more about you and your work Face37.com shows all my graphic design work, um, which I still do. Um, so I split up my, my life doing 50% graphic design and then 50% type stuff. And, and my wife, since having my son, Bobby, um, she works with me on uh, from Monday to Wednesday. So she mixes up her time doing um, uh, graphic design stuff with Face37 or um, just social posts for F37 um, Foundry uh, work. Um, which is on f37foundry.com. So, yeah, you can check out all my fonts there and all my custom fonts on that brand spanking new website.
0: Awesome. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me today, uh, No worries. Thanks, never As always, you can find out more about Rick's work and the F37 Type Foundry on madebyfolk.com. The music on today's episode is brought to you by Mammal Sounds, and this track's called Sober by Daste. If you like this episode, make sure to share it, send it to your friends, share it with your colleagues, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and I'll catch up with you guys in the next episode. I just wanna-